Until this time, Paul has been talking about how much he wants to see them and how great their faith are, uh, their faith is, and uh, just really blessing them and expressing a lot of uh, prologue. Uh, but now he's going to turn into a lot of instructions to them, and that's what we're going to be focusing on as we go through the remainder of this uh, this letter. So that's why he says, "Finally, finally, then, brothers." We ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand, and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Father God, I pray that as we have read your word, that you'd use it to touch our hearts and encourage us and strengthen us so that we might live lives that are genuinely pleasing to you. You are a good and great God, and we love you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Over the years that I've been a pastor, one of the things, uh, most common questions, actually common issues that people bring to me are, are questions like, what should I do with my life? What is God's call on my life? How do I know what the will of God is? How do I do what is pleasing to the Lord? And most Christians genuinely want to please the Lord. I am absolutely convinced of this. Uh, most Christians genuinely want to walk into their destiny. Most Christians genuinely want to find their calling in the Lord. But one of the things that's happened is somehow people have made this really, really complicated. So they think, well, the only way that I can find out what really pleases God is if I you know, go on a 40-day fast, or maybe I can find out what pleases God if I go to a, a seven-day conference, or maybe I can find out what pleases God if I spend all night in prayer, uh, or maybe I can find out what pleases God if I, if I read the scriptures uh, nonstop for four days, or whatever it is. And we come up with these very complex kinds of equations, and all those things actually are good, you know, fasting and prayer and, and scripture reading are good. And some people are like, well, maybe I can find out what really pleases God and my calling if I go and I talk to enough people and I get enough, uh, get enough insights. But actually, walking, living in a way that pleases God is not as difficult as most people make it out to seem. In fact, God is reasonably clear in his word how we ought to live. And God doesn't often reveal our final destiny to us. Most of the time, the way God works in our lives is he'll show us the next step and he'll train us and discipline us so that we are living in a way that pleases him, so that we will naturally walk into the calling that he has for us. 
So really, the key to find out your destiny, the key to find out your calling, is not so much getting some uh, tablet from heaven, and it's not so much a burning bush, and it's not so much a prophetic word as it is actually doing what God has called us to do and living as God has called us to live. And that's what he's trying to encourage the Thessalonians. He's encouraging the Thessalonians. Notice here that throughout the letter so far, he has not given them a city-taking strategy. Notice so far in this letter, he has not given them the way to pull down the principalities and powers that are influencing Thessalonica. Notice he's not giving them a church planting strategy uh, to go out and plant a, a, a dozens of new churches in the area surrounding Thessalonica. He's actually encouraging them on how to live in a way that is going to please God. And he says, Thessalonians, this really is the will of God for your life. I've talked to you about it. I've told you about it. But this is the will of God, your sanctification. In other words, these Thessalonians who were living in a world that was very much like our world is today. It was a world filled with sexual promiscuity. It was a world filled with idolatry. It was a world filled uh, with greed. It was a world filled with people taking advantage of other people. It was a world that included murder and abuse and all kinds of mistreatment of children and vulnerable persons. It was a world that really wasn't all that different from London today. And he says, if you want to know what God wants for you in Thessalonica, in your city, this is his will, your sanctification. In other words, he wanted them to be holy. He wanted them to live a life of holiness. And as we lived a life of holiness, as we lived a sanctified life, we were living in accordance with the will of God. And the implication is that as we lived in that way, we would walk into the destiny that God has for us. It wasn't really all that complicated, and even today, it's not all that complicated. So how do we do that? And, and that's really what we've been talking about the whole letter so far, is this whole issue of sanctification that Paul is telling us, if you're going to live effectively in a city like London, the way you do it is by living the sanctified life. And he's saying this not only to Christians as individuals. We always have to remember this. When Paul is writing his letters, he's writing to the church corporately, not to Christians individually. So when he writes, yes, it applies to us as individuals, but when he's writing, he's also saying, this applies to everybody that's a part of the church. So Paul says, how then do we live the sanctified life? How do we walk into this? Now, he's been talking about this again, the whole letter, but today he gives us three related concepts here. So what does he tell us here? He said, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that first you abstain from sexual immorality. This means you avoid sexual immorality. Now, Paul didn't have a hang-up about sex. I mean, that's one of the things that people who are not Christians, they always try to impose 
uh, on the church and on the Bible. You know, you're all focused on sex. You got this real hang-up about sex. It's not that Paul had a hang-up about this at all. The reason this was so big is that sexual immorality was leading so many people astray. Even in that day, uh, there was a, a saying that uh, many men, they would, have, they would have their mistresses to have fun with. They would have the concubines, their concubines to satisfy their needs, quote unquote. You can guess what that means. And then they would have their wives who would help them to have children and, and have a stable household. And that was a common attitude. And that kind of attitude is prevalent today. It's all around us. And there's a reality around uh, sexual activity that links us intimately and spiritually with other people. And so Paul is saying, listen guys, gals, you have to abstain from sexual immorality. Don't do this. It's not that he's against sex. He's actually pro-sex, but pro-sex in the right context. And what is sexual immorality? It's sexual activity outside the covenant of marriage. Sexual activity outside the covenant of marriage that would come on all under that category of sexual immorality. In our day, this would include things like pornography as well. And so he says, abstain from it. Just don't get involved with it. Just say no. Just turn away from it. Because there are few things that are more powerful for leading us into unholiness and leading us astray and disempowering us so that we displease God than sexual immorality. And then he begins and he moves on from that. And many times when many interpreters, when they're reading this passage, they think the whole passage is about sexual immorality, but I don't think so. I don't think that's what Paul is saying here because he goes on. He says, you abstain from sexual immorality that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. So the second thing we have to do after we abstain from sexual immorality is to control our own bodies in holiness and honor. That means we choose to act in ways that are honoring to God, that are honoring to his word, that show us as a people who have been set apart by God for his special purposes. And he contrasts that with this idea, not in the passion of lust, or you might say the fire of desire, like those who don't know God. Now you might think, well, lust and sex, that is kind of the same thing. No, it's not. There are lots of things that we can lust after, and there's a lot of forms of desire, and that word lust there really does mean uh, an intense desire. So the fire of desire is really a good way to put that. And so I know some people who have a fire of desire to get lots of money. You know, that's what they want. They go after it, everything, every, every moment of the day, they're thinking about how do I make more money? How do I earn more money? How do I keep it? Uh, I know some people who, who have a fire of desire about possessions. Uh, I know some people who have a fire of desire about food. I mean, that's been true in my life from time to time. 
we can have a fire of desire about many things. A fire of desire about a bigger house, a better job, uh, a nicer car, you know, and, and a lot of those things are just fine. You know, there's nothing wrong with food. There's nothing wrong with money. Uh, I think uh, what Wesley said was right. You know, earn all you can, give all you can, and save all you can. You know, so there's nothing wrong with money, there's nothing wrong with food, there's nothing wrong with a house, there's nothing wrong with a car, and so on and so on. But when we have the fire of desire after these things, then what they do is they always pull us away from pleasing God, and they always, always pull us away, that desire, not the things themselves, but that fire of desire pulls us away from doing that which is honoring to the Lord. So sexual immorality is just one form of passion, of desire, of lust, but we can lust after many, many things. I've seen ministers who lust after more people, who lust after bigger offerings. And the problem is that we can easily deceive ourselves into thinking that the thing that we have the fire of desire for is something that's godly or something that's good or something that's worthwhile and that we're not really following the passions of our desires like those who don't know God. So we need to learn how to control our own body, control our thoughts, control what we're doing so that we are not consumed by the fire of desire. And you see that with so many people. You can see that as you walk down Oxford Street. People just going from one place to another place, just wanting more and more and more and more, accumulating more and more and more, not knowing when to stop. You can see that here in the city of London, down in the London Stock Exchange. You can see that everywhere around us. And so Paul says, you need to control yourself. You need to control yourself. Do not submit to this fire of desire about anything, but seek after the Lord. Then he tells us there's a third thing that we need to do if we want to please God, if we want to walk in this way. And this makes this whole corporate dynamic of what he's saying very explicit. So he says, abstain from sexual immorality, control your body in holiness and honor so you're not going around in the fire of desire, and do not transgress or wrong your brother or sister in these things, in this fire of desire. There have been many times in the body of Christ, you know, I, I have seen this kind of thing where people, uh, they, they want the gift of prophecy and they have a fire of desire for prophecy and so they, they start to climb over other people and use other people to get what they want. They're wronging their brother or sister in Christ in this. I've seen some people who want to get rich that they try to use church gatherings as a way to build their own business. And they start to wrong their brother or sister in that. Now there are so many ways that if we succumb to that fire of desire in our lives, that we will step over, that's transgress. Transgress is when you go across somebody's boundary. You transgress or you wrong your brother or sister in these kinds of things. I've seen some people have the desire to be recognized, and so they push other people to the side or they minimize the contribution of other people. There are so many ways that we can transgress one another or wrong our brother or sister in Christ when we're just going about with this fire of desire and letting it control us. So we have to be especially respectful 
especially respectful of one another in Jesus Christ. I've seen this so many times in leaders' gatherings, in Christian leaders' gatherings, where people start to, to assess one another in terms of the size of your church or something like that. I remember one leaders' gathering that I was at a few years ago. I was doing a talk, and I said, okay, I know the question that's on everybody's mind, so I just want to get this, this out of the way. And, and that question is, how big is your church? And so I said, well, every, every Sunday we've got about 8,000 involved in worship. Uh, uh, the, uh, in, in, uh, we have about 250 that really support me directly uh, in my ministry leadership. Uh, we have about three or 4,000 that are involved in uh, our, our outreach to the homeless ministry that we were doing at that time. Uh, and so I went through this whole spiel. I said, so in the end, we have about 55,000 square feet. Oh, and then everybody's like, oh, oh, oh. Uh, you know, because people are doing that. Leaders are doing that. And we easily do that to one another. And Paul's saying, don't do that. Conduct yourself in holiness and honor with regard to one another. Don't, don't subject each other you know, to your own desires. But look what's good for other people. Because, remember, he says, God will take care of this. God will avenge if you transgress or wrong your brother. And he says, and remember, I've solemnly, solemnly warned you about this. I've given you a solemn warning, so don't do it. As he says, we have not been called for impurity, that's uncleanness, that's engaging with things that dishonor God. That's what impurity is all about. It's things that dishonor or disrespect God. We've not been called for impurity, but for holiness. That's our calling. That's God's will for each one of us that we would live in this holiness. And if we live in this holiness, and it's not a mystery, it's not a mysterious thing, it's not being holier than thou, and it's not being Mr. or Mrs. Goody Two-Shoes, it's not being super perfect, it's being set apart for the purposes of God. That's how we've been called to live, as people who know that we've been set apart. And this issue is with God, and God has provided us His Holy Spirit to help us in this. So each one of us can know how to please God. Each one of us knows what God's will is for our life, and that is that we are sanctified, that we live in a way that honors God and honors one another, and most importantly, honors Jesus Christ. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for its encouragement and its challenge for us. I pray, Father, that you'd help us uh, and reveal to us any areas where we've been living by the fire of desire and not in accordance with your will and your ways. And Lord, we turn away from that because we want to live holy lives that are pleasing unto you. So I pray that you'd help us to do that. We love you and we worship you and we adore you. So we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.